I recognized that because of the pandemic, there was an opportunity for me to enter the floral industry, which for all intents and purposes, really had a bit of a gatekeeper type culture, right? Where larger retailers could dictate who farms could work with, you know, not officially, but they can see, you know, if they felt like you were going to threaten their business and they're a big client of a farm, they could very easily be like, well. Hi, Offscripters. It's your host, Sewa Ajay Pili, and welcome to episode 177 of the She's Offscript podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for their business success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. Today's guest, Talia Boone, started DIY flower arranging as a form of stress relief and self-care. When her local farmer's market was shut down during the pandemic, she went looking for ways to order those same loose flowers online, but flower wholesalers wouldn't lower their order minimums for her. Four months later, she had launched the beta version of her business, Postal Petals, by partnering with 20 flower farmers. Almost three years later, she's grown Postal Petals into a thriving business selling farm direct fresh bloom boxes online. As you can imagine, it took incredible timing and hard work to launch a business in an industry that historically was only accessible to a select few. In this episode, Talia is sharing her whole journey with us from making the right industry contacts to her fulfillment process, their growth plans, and everything in between. Before we hear the rest of Talia's story, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review our show on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen to audio podcasts. This will help to spread the word about our show so amazing stories like Talia's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off-script with the CEO of Postal Petals, Talia Boone. Talia Boone, welcome to She's Off-Script. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited to talk with you today. So for anyone who hasn't come across you before, could you share who you are and what you do? Yes. So I am uh, Talia Boone. I am the founder and CEO of Postal Petals. And Postal Petals is an immersive uh, floral and self-care company that uses fresh cut flowers and DIY flower arranging as a tool for mindfulness and self-care. We work with both consumers and B2B clients um, on our consumer side. What that looks like is we partner with domestic flower farms to ship bundles of fresh cut flowers to our customers uh, nationwide. And then on the business to business side for our corporate clients, we utilize that same structure to also host uh, either virtual or in-person floral design workshops as part of their employee team building activities or corporate health and wellness activities. Uh, We also do immersive floral art installations as well as uh, corporate gifting. Wow. Okay. And I would really like to dive into just the different streams of revenue you've set up there. But I understand you're a publicist and a brand strategist by trade and you still run an agency today. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So my um, me, my world uh, of flowers is not even three years old. It's insane. I always tell people, um, if you'd have told me three years ago today that I'd have a flower company, I would have been like, you are bugging. I'm, <laughs> in fact, I'm not even worried about that. Like, get out of here with that. But 
Um, I Yeah, my background, I'm actually um, a trained publicist. I went to school for communications with an emphasis in PR. Um, so I my background is in sports. I worked in the NFL for a couple of teams, then, you know, then leagues and players and associations and those things. Um, and so and I've also owned, you know, a few different uh, companies. So my the, the, the generalist of my background is that I am, uh, it's marketing, PR, uh, branding, brand strategy, uh, and brand partnerships, both in the um, entertainment and um, and sports space. And most recently, um, I have an agency um, called Intersect. We've been in operation for about six years. Um, and what we do is we are a, a tactical solutions agency that operates right at the intersection of sports and entertainment, corporate and consumer brands, and social impact. And so what that means is we uh, deploy the resources of corporate um, corporate clients pair them with the social equity of sports and entertainment assets for the specific reason of um, of strategic social impact. Yeah. Wow. So given all of that, how did you find yourself now owning a flower company? Yeah. So, you know, my pathway to flowers actually had a lot to do with Intersect, right? Because, mm. I, you know, I always say to people that when you um, really care about impact work, you you take it personally, right? And um, and it, you really feel deeply about the issues that you're working, that you're working hard to, to bring change to. And um, year, several years ago, a friend of mine introduced me to flower arranging, just as like a fun friend activity, something I hadn't done before. And I did it. And I actually, it was not just fun, but I found it to be really relaxing. And because of the work that I was doing with Intersect, um, you know, it's, the impact work is really interesting, right? Because you go into it thinking, oh, all of these things are broken. All these systems are broken. Things aren't in this, you know, there's no way that this, we have to be able to fix this because, you know, the school system, there's this prison school to prison pipeline and look at the numbers for incarcerated persons and all of these things. And once you kind of start getting into the work, you realize that actually the system is not broken, that it is really functioning exactly in the way that it's intended to focus, um, to function all the way down to, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, civil rights and you know civic engagement and voter rights you know suppression all of those things it's it's very well crafted in those ways and so in doing that work it can be very depressing when you hear um, things like you know when you start to get into that work and you start to realize that you're not giving them new ideas they know what's happening and they're just not trying to change it can be very depressing very demoralizing very frustrating and so I would always just take that energy I found myself taking that energy into flowers and using the process of flower arranging to kind of decompress and relieve um, anxiety. So kind of without me even realizing it, or to be completely honest, without me really having the language to describe it, I was really using flowers as my form of self-care. Whenever I would um, be really stressed out or whenever, you know, something would happen that I would just be like, this is so wrong. These people aren't even mm -hmm. trying to fix this. I would just be like, let me go on down to the flower market, grab me some flowers, come on back, pour a glass of wine, put on some, you know, soft music. And that would always Always, always really just helped to decompress me. Um, and so, like I said, it just became my form of self-care. And then fast forward to the pandemic, you know, here in LA, we went on lockdown the second week of March. And, um, you know, it's initially just meant to be two weeks. And then it went to three weeks, to four weeks, to five weeks. Yeah, we all know that story. Yeah, and by six weeks, I was like, yo, something ain't clean in the water. Like, this is not, like, this is not, 
this is wild. Like it started to become very clear that they had no idea what was going on, that there was no real certainty about what was going to happen. And that can, for me, it started, I, the anxiety started kind of coming up, the stress, just thinking, what does this mean for, you know, for my career, for my family, mm. for my life, like all of these things. It was very scary, that type of yeah. uncertainty, things that no one had dealt with before. And, you know, the walls just kind of started closing in on me because I was very strictly quarantined. I'm one of those people when it comes to like health stuff, I follow rules really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was my therapist who actually said, you know, she's kind of hearing me, not necessarily spiral, but she's hearing hearing the signs of me preparing to spiral, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so she was like, you know, I haven't heard you talk about arranging flowers in a while. Why don't you try that? And let's see if that, you know, if that works for you. And I'm like, oh, that's a really good idea. Um, The only problem was that um, where I would typically go for flowers was the LA flower market. I would just go down there. I don't know the names of flowers, but I would just see beautiful flowers, beautiful colors, mm-hmm. just kneel around the market and kind of pick up whatever I wanted and come home and arrange them. But the market was closed due to the pandemic lockdowns. And so I thought, oh, well, you know, you can get anything delivered right now, even stuff that you couldn't normally get delivered. I'll look around online and have them ship me a box to my house. So I start looking and searching for a company that could ship me fresh cut flowers, you know, to the house that I could arrange. And I really, I really didn't find anything. I saw there were all kinds of flower companies that, yes, will ship you flowers, but they're arrangements, already done arrangements. And that's not what I wanted. It wasn't the flowers that really brought me peace. It was really the process of arranging them that I was looking for. I needed that experience of actually working with them, building the arrangement, you know, stem by Mm. stem, because that's where the decompression comes, at least for me. Um, And so... I couldn't really find that in the in the marketplaces I was searching online. But during that search, I stumbled upon this wholesale flower distributor who shipped really large volumes of flowers to his retail clients all around the world. And so um, I thought, well, I know he has access to flowers. I'm just going to call him and just see if I could convince him to reduce his minimums to, an, you know, just small enough for me to have a, essentially a consumer size box uh, shipped to my house so I could arrange. What were his minimums? I'm just curious. Well, he's shipping very large volumes of flowers. So you're talking about huge boxes um, of flowers. So you're talking, you know, like multiples of, you know, 10, you know, like 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 of bundles of flowers, like massive, massive, like mm. bundles of flowers. Cause you're thinking he's shipping to retail clients. So you're thinking um, event planners, wedding planners, florists, um, you know, uh, not necessarily grocery stores, but really large, like you're just having to ship like super huge boxes, um, Mm. you know, multiples to get, you know, to kind of stand up entire events and that kind of thing. And so I called him, um, you you know, like I said, to just kind of, you know, say, hey, would you mind just sending me some flowers? And right away he was like, no, like he's, you could tell he's definitely like, who's this? Random lady calling me saying, I want to arrange some flowers. Can you send me some? But he was really gracious in his no. And he really took the time to explain to me not just why he was saying no, but kind of explaining to me kind of what was going on in the floral industry at that time. And he and I ended up on the phone for about two and a half hours. Um, And by the end of that conversation, I remember I have a background in brand strategy, brand partnerships. I'm very familiar with the concept of brand building, you know, filling holes in the market, seeing opportunities, all of these things. And throughout that conversation, they just they were just all these like uh, like bells were going off because I'm recognizing all of these really opportunities and 
so by the end of that that call, um, two things that I recognized. One was that what I was looking for did not exist in the marketplace in the way that I was looking for it. And then two, I recognized that because of the pandemic, there was an opportunity for me to enter the floral industry, which for all intents and purposes, really had a bit of a gatekeeper type culture, right? Where larger retailers could, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, kind of dictate who farms could work, you know, would work with, you know, not officially, but they can see, you know, if they felt like you were going to threaten their business and they're a big client of a farm, they could very easily be like, well, you know, we're sending you a lot of business. This could be a threat to what we're doing. We would really prefer you not, you know, um, to work with them or whatever. So there's a lot of that kind of thing that what you know what happened in that industry but because of the pandemic it really was kind of like the great equalizer right where a lot all of the many of the things that people were larger retailers were able to you know work with farms for things like events and weddings and those kind of things were all canceled because of lockdowns, right? And at that time, people were hoarding toilet paper. They were not buying grocery store flowers. They were not, that was not the vibe they were going for. Mm. And so many of these farms were really actively looking for new ways to bring their product to market because their flowers are overgrown. They're dying in the field. They're having to lay off workers. So they're all Mm. in this space. And these are things, things that I did not realize until, you know, this conversation. And, you know, the good thing is that I'm a curious person. So even though I, you know, floral industry is not my industry at all. I was, I, I care about people, right? Remember, you know, I have this tactical solutions agency that's all focused on people and, and really looking at their circumstance and, and, and natively identifying from a strategic, a deep kind of rooted place. How do you start to solve some of the things that are impacting negatively their lives, their communities, their families, their existence? And so I always listen um, to people with that kind of, with that, with that, um, with that purpose in mind. And so by the end of the conversation, I said to him like, Hey, you know, do you think something like this could work? And I described to him essentially what what is postal petals? Like if, you know, if we partnered with these farms and we shipped, you know, small boxes of flowers to different consumers, do you think something like this could work? And he sat for a minute and thought about it. And he said, you know, if you would have asked me that four months ago, I would have said, absolutely not. There's no way that would work. But now given the everything that's happening, you know, something like that, that actually, that may actually work. And so that was the first week of May um, in 2020, the week before Mother's Day. And um, I immediately went to work building out a wireframe. What could the company look like? What would I, you know, want the company name to be? Buying up, you know, all the domains. And because, you know, I'm, I'm again branding. So I know mm-hmm. got to have this, it's got to be consistent across all platforms. So even if I got a really great name that's available on, you know, two of the five major platforms, if it's not available on all five, we can't use it because mm-hmm. got to be able to say postal across platforms. You know what I mean? You can't right. be like it. We're, we're this on this platform, that on that, like that's a mouthful and you don't no. always have that. Um, so I immediately went to, to, um, work out to the business of building that business. And by the end of July of that same year, um, we launched what is an early version of postal pedals in beta with nearly 20 farm partners signed up to ship for us. And so, so wait a minute. Sure. Yeah. You went from having kind of a very well gate kept industry mm-hmm. where you would never have been able to access relationships to these farmers mm-hmm. to then signing 20 of them onto your beta. Mm-hmm. 
what was that conversation like? How did you yeah. find these farmers and what did you, what was that conversation like with them to get them on board? Well, that is an excellent question. I'll tell you that the way that I was, um, that was able to do that is because I believe strongly, strongly in the power of partnership and collaboration. And so what we did, what I did was I, um, I enlisted the services of that same guy that I was, that I talked to that first day when I got mm. the idea, because this man works, he's got like 30 plus years in the global floral industry. And so I said to him, you know, knowing that his business is, you know, shipping flowers or, you know, coordinating flowers being shipped all around the world, I said to him like, hey, can we work something out where you can kind of help to introduce us to these different farms, help to set up this network, this supply chain mm. with the farm. I'm sorry, and you said you just Googled and found this guy? One thing Man, I learned is look at this timing. Yeah, very much so. One thing I one thing that I this is funny. I am one of those people when I want something, I my general philosophy is if I can think of it, it should exist. Even if mm, it, does, I love it, that. it could exist and it should exist. Because if I'm thinking of it, someone else is thinking of it too. And even if it doesn't exist, similar to postal petals in the way that I was looking for it, the the fact that I'm thinking about it in this way lets me know that there's at least some infrastructure, some ability to form this in a way that is that works for me. And that's ultimately what I did with, with Postal Petals. And so mm. it was this gentleman who actually helped to facilitate a lot of those early farm relationships with us to really, and it was great to have had him because his relationship, his reputation precedes him, right? Because of his long time in the industry, mm. farms were willing to take a risk and try it because they had longstanding relationships with him. So almost the same thing that would have kept me out of the industry before I had this, you know, kind of like, you know, you know, secret key that was willing to take take me in and say, okay, this is something that I, I want to try. Would you guys be willing to, you know, to kind of, you know, support this type of model? And because again, they were all, you know, missing their primary, you know, revenue streams, mm -hmm. they were all very willing to try something really a little bit not. different. Yeah. And our biggest issue, to be honest, with the farms in the early days is that we couldn't ship from all of them all the time because there were so many, um, there were so many farms. There were only so many boxes. You know, we're new, so we're not shipping yeah. thousands of boxes a day. So there's only so many that we could use at a time. That really was our biggest issue with the farms early on is we almost had too large of a supply chain, too many options. Yeah, which is a Ooh. which is an excellent, excellent problem to have. I definitely yeah. want to talk about the logistics. But before that, I feel like when you initially go out to start a business, you envision the business rolling out in a specific way, right? Mm -hmm. um, but oftentimes in reality, in practicality, it doesn't often play out that way. So I wonder if there were any instances like that for you where you had to pivot the business model a little bit on the fly. Girl, yes, I'd be a fool if I didn't pivot. Listen, that's yeah. what beta's for, right? Like, mm. you know, they, they they talk about how if you are, and I forget who it was that said this, but I'm sure you've heard this a million times. If your first product comes out and it looks perfect, you've waited too long to go to market. 
Mm -hmm. So I knew early on that that I'm not waiting. I need to get for me a minimum viable product out and I need to test this because we're also be clear. We're building this during the pandemic. I could not go to any of these farms. I could not try all of these products. I really just need to see, could the farms deliver what I was looking to build? So yeah, it was a very clunky um, offering when it first came out with within the first beta within uh, this one within the first couple days of beta initially we were shipping the boxes for free after the first few orders came in I was like oh it's not free anymore I immediately <laughs> I immediately messaged the the developer and was like yeah um so we need to add on shipping. This is the, yeah. you know, flat rate shipping. This is what it looks like. Cause I looked at other flower companies and kind of saw what the industry norm was for shipping. Also mm. understanding that there would be a loss on shipping, but I wasn't willing to take as much of a loss on shipping as it would have been if I was shipping these boxes for free because shipping flower boxes, you know, these are large, you know, three foot boxes. They're very large boxes. We're sending long stem, very mm. um, fresh cut flowers. And so um, that was one of the first things that we changed was that we couldn't, cause I knew we would crash and burn right away without having, um, without, without, you know, charging at least something for shipping to subsidize. The other thing that we realized right away. So initially we selected for everybody what flowers they wanted. Well, as the order started coming in, I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that. Like I, I don't, that's a pressure to try to figure. It's like ordering at a restaurant for somebody. I don't yeah. know what they like. I don't know what they'll, what they, what kind of, you know, what their style is, what their, what their aesthetic is. We just need to create recipes that they can choose from. And then we'll just feel those, those recipes, you know, as they come in. So there was those types of tweaks. Mm -hmm. And I do understand the urge to do that because today there are some subscription boxes that kind of surprise you. You kind of get whatever is there that month. And sometimes we do just go with whatever model exists, but when you actually put it on the ground, it it doesn't work and you have to pivot. It doesn't work the same way. And we do, I will say we do have a, we have a, almost like a hybrid of that, right? So what we do is we will offer, you know, six uh, curated recipes from each farm based on um, six curated recipes total um, each month based on what's um, in season, in bloom, which looking good and what kind of fits within our model. And then, you know, so they could either pick one of the six recipes that we have available. And when I say recipes, I mean, flower recipes, meaning, you know, one bundle of, you know, sunflowers, one bundle of eucalyptus, one bundle of roses, you know, all kind of wrapped together to be, you know, um, a, a recipe called, uh, you know, cuffing season or pretty in pink or whatever. So they have those six recipes to choose from, but then they also have the option for a surprise me. And they'll say, you know, we think mm. that would that they be surprised in a surprise me box, which if I was, if I was someone ordering, I would always pick surprise me because the surprise me boxes always get the best flowers because either you're going to get one of, you know, one of the best recipes that we have available or, you know, every week, you know, there are, you know, maybe there was an order that was supposed to go for a farm and they, the way they blocked it out, they have too many of, you know, you know, too many of peonies. We almost never have peonies in our box because they're so expensive, but there may be one week where the farm has an excess of peonies. And so we can put them in the box. And so when you do surprise me, you may get something that we're not offering on our recipe menu because to offer it in our menu as a set item, it's just too expensive to fit within our model, right? Yeah. So 
Um, and so those, you know, those are kind of some of the learnings that we took in was to figure out how best to service it. And so we ended up being in beta for about six weeks and we made some tweaks and we continue to tweak, right? right? Like that's the a company we've, there's, you know, you should be learning from your consumer, really learning how they're using our product. Like when we first started, we were very focused on consumer and it, it took us maybe two months to realize that there was an opportunity for a B2B play for a collective um, play. Where we can start to go out to corporates, where we could start focusing on groups like, you know, sororities, um, you know, links and Jack and Jill's and all these different like org- like community organizations. There were ways for us to, you know, kind of start with like enterprise partnerships. Well, I do want to ask you, though, about why you decided to branch out, because you've talked about sometimes you felt like there was an oversubscription of customers when when you were doing, you know, direct to consumer with the farms. Mm-hmm. So why then go out and add other streams while you're still developing the company in general? Well, because the, to be honest, like if I could break, um, there's a couple of things. One in the, um, in the retail space, which is ultimately the way that we, that we start in the consumer space, mm-hmm. it, the margins on consumer products are often far lesser than they are in the B2B space, right? That's first and foremost. Mm, Second of all, the cost to acquire a consumer is far more expensive than the cost to acquire a business client. And what I quickly realized is that we did not have the financial infrastructure to support a a solely consumer-based offering. And so what we realized is that in order for us to truly grow the consumer business in the way that um, that it needed the attention that it needed and really the traditional structures that you use to um, to build it, like, you know, marketing budgets, advertising budgets, all of these things. You need mm-hmm. resources. You either need to raise outside funding or you need to figure out how to raise enough revenue um, to support that growth. And because right. we, it's just expensive. So that's ultimately why we started thinking, where else can we start to get this, get the revenue from in order to grow? And we're, you know, at this point, kind of doing a mix of both. We're just recently, um, you know, um, getting ready to close out our friends and family round. We'll be moving into our seed round here shortly. But um, we're really focusing. Thank you very much. Um, I'm super excited about the way this company is, like the the ways that we're looking at um, opportunities for growth and collaboration and all those things. But really, to be honest, it was out of necessity to answer your question plainly. It was just out of necessity for survival because Mm -hmm. you could be moving all these boxes, but when you start to look at the numbers, you're like, okay, we're still not really making money because, you know, when you have the the boxes, the flowers you got to pay for, the shipping you have to pay for, there's a loss there. Um, then you have the other uh, added element of, you know, how are we going to get these customers? We've still, to this day, all of our growth has been a hundred percent organic, right? So it's, we do earn media because I'm a, I'm have, being a former publicist, I understand the true value of proper PR and proper um, media outreach, right? Because that gets you trust. Because when they see you, you know, we've been in Forbes, we've been in Essence, Black Enterprise, GQ, Good Housekeeping. And that has, that's been really what has brought us business. It's because you can't well, you can buy that kind of trust, but it's, it's we, you, you can buy it when you have the budget for it. And we right. do not have that budget for it. And so 
I knew very early on that that PR was going to be how we were going to be able to sustain our at least our consumer business early on. And mm. now we're using a lot of, you know, um, earned media as we start to go into uh, the B2B space as well. So. So if anyone listening recognizes the value of having all that media coverage, but they don't necessarily have the expertise you do or the connections that you probably have from the PR space. Mm-hmm. How would you advise them to get that sort of media coverage for their companies? Because I think I've heard you say that a lot of your consumer traffic comes from a lot of the media coverage that you've gotten. And that really is what helped you get started. So how would someone go about doing that if they are kind of starting from the ground up? Yeah, I would say if you don't have a background um, in PR at all, you can do, I'd say there's a couple of things you can do. One, you could look on like Upwork or Fiverr or somewhere like that. And you can Mm. find, you know, within this distributed workforce system that we've, that we've, you know, kind of um, gained over the last several years, you could always, you know, try to find someone who could offer those services to you, you know, at a lesser cost. Another thing is there is, there's, there's listservs that that's really what they do is they, there are, instead of you going out pitching to um, reporters, it's where it's a listserv where a few different listservs, one is called Haro, help a reporter out. And what they do is it's reporters who are working on stories and they need um, subjects. They need people to interview. They need, um, they need, you know, storylines. They need these different things. And so they'll go on to mm-hmm. Haro and they'll say, you know, looking for, you know, this type of um, this person in this industry, if you um, if this is you, you know, you know, message us with, you know, with your information. And so that's a very easy way to start. And you can do that yourself. The only thing is you have to be clear about your brand story, clear about your, your, you know, your messaging, right? Because it has to be concise, because if you are, um, you know, just kind of all over the place and trying to tell your story, you could very easily, you're going to, you're going to miss out on a lot of those pitches, kind of preparing your pitch, which again, if you don't know how to prepare a pitch, but you feel like you could, you know, kind of source stuff through a listserv like Haro, again, you could go to one of these distributed workforce um, sites and just pay someone on a pro- for the project of writing a pitch for you that right. you can then just repurpose um, over and over and over again. So that's, I think, the best way um, to start if you don't, if you don't have it. And then the old faithful ways also people, you know, love to get interns um, because they're either no cost or low cost. And you get, you know, if you have a college university near you, nearby that, you know, has a, you know, communication or PR um, department also, you know, getting a PR intern, they could, they may be able to help you um, with some of that stuff as well. So when I think about everything you've shared with us today, I'm imagining that it's very difficult and intricate to deliver flowers that are fresh Mm -hmm. perfectly every single time. Mm -hmm. So what does the behind the scenes logistics look like and how long did it take you to stand up a process and a system that you were comfortable with um, as far as your processes, the tools you're using and the team that you've had to put in place? Yeah, so that's actually a really good question. And that continues to evolve, quite honestly, right? Because all flowers don't ship equally, right? Like it's funny, I was just having a conversation with someone yesterday who wanted a specialty box and they really wanted like hydrangeas. And I was saying to them, I, I, we actually stopped shipping hydrangeas not too long ago. Not to say that we won't get back to it, but hydrangeas are one of those that need a constant water source or else they fall, they 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 deflate very quickly, almost like a balloon. Mm. And you can dunk them and bring them back, but if you don't know how to dunk, 
you're just going to be sitting there with flowers in a in water that's not going to work. And and I don't that's not the kind of product that we want to um, to um, to to ship out. Right. And so it's learning which flowers perform really well in shipping the best way to package them for it. And quite frankly, the the early years for us, we didn't have to worry about it at all because all of our boxes were coming straight from the farm. Right. So the farms were professionals at packing because that's all farms do for the most part is they package in boxes safely so that they the flowers won't be you know jostled around too much in transit. And so it's a they kind of you know mastered that process. But for us, when we started doing some of our some of the fulfillment internally, because we'd have like specialty items and things like that, um, mm. that's when we just really we actually created um a custom box that was specifically created specifically to, you know, kind of hold the flowers into place and make sure that transit um, for the flowers is really safe. So with that, it helps to minimize um, any negative impact on the flowers during the shipping process. And then the way that we, you know, kind of uh, the design on our boxes, it, you know, tells them right away when they open the box, like, hey, you know, you know, these flowers have been, you know, traveling to you for, you know, a good 24 hours, like any new home, getting any house guests that you have, the first thing you want to do after a long journey is offer them something to drink. You know, you want to get them in water right away because they, by the time you get them, um, you know, we always ship our flowers overnight, right? So by the time they arrive to their, you know, their, their, their flower foster parent, they are, um, they're going to need water because they've been off of their life source for at least, you know, 24 hours. And so mm-hmm. they'll come, you know, they'll come in the box and they'll seem a little, a little bit limp, but as soon as you put them in water, give them a couple of hours to hydrate, they will come right back to life. Good to um, go. And then we, you know, have instructions for how to, um, how to, you know, kind of arrange and care for them um, from there. But really it's, it's for us, again, it started, it was easy because the farms um, were doing the shipping. And then once we started doing it ourselves, we used the learnings that we had from when our farm was shipping, but then also um, used the learnings from when we were shipping some things ourselves and put that into a carefully constructed box that could help mm. us. Um, make sure so that- did you have to hire on a fulfillment staff and get into a fulfillment website? Uh, a fulfillment site or a warehouse? What did you have to do? Yeah, so not not necessarily. We are we're doing some of that um, at the end of uh, this quarter. Actually, it's on that's on our track for us to bring in and start kind of looking at other fulfillment um, options. But mm-hmm. our relationships with our farms are still really strong, and um, and so they do a lot of the bulk of the fulfillment for us. And they wow. use our boxes and ship it out. We only do a small amount of fulfillment in house, and again, those are just for things that are that require a, a, a more soft touch um or they you know some you know some extra element we have some uh, you know, corporate clients that require additional, you know, additional items to go in there, you know, just additional extra touches. And so we'll fulfill them internally. And luckily for us right now, that is um, manageable for us, but we expect that um, going into the second quarter of this year, that will become unmanageable. And so that's why we said we're going to be bringing in an, a, a specifically um, someone to manage um, not just the overall floral operations, but, you know, distribution and fulfillment so that we could have, you know, kind of, um, um, begin to adjust the, you know, adjust that process. Cause that's really what we're the phase that we're in. I always say, you know, I think we're going into our third year 
the first year with for us was really proofing the concept, figuring out kind of where we where we fit in the marketplace, how are our customers using us, and how you know how we you know what's our what's our full revenue model. The second year for us was all about you know laying a strong foundation so that all elements of our revenue model could be fully maximized, right? Like getting our trademarks, getting our minority business certification, those kind of things. And then going into this third year, it's really about um, revenue. It's about building on you know really. Um, um, experiencing the fruit of all the, the you know, kind of uh, early foundational work that we've been doing. And so that's why I say, you know, this is the time that we're now starting to, you know, kind of formulate new plans mm-hmm. for fulfillment because we expect um, a significant amount of growth. Um, that's amazing to see that you have put in the work and laid the right foundation to experience this growth. Um, but you have talked about going in for funding. So it's Everything you've described seems manageable as far as your startup capital that you need, but could you give us some perspective on how much startup capital you needed and how much you think you're going to need to raise in order to grow the, the company to where you want it to be? Yeah. So, you know, that is a good question. I've actually spent a considerable amount of time um, thinking about this, right? Because, you know, even though there's been all of these, you know, new VCs that pop up that are specially focused on Black founders, even Black women founders, right? Mm-hmm. I still find the raise process to be a bit um unnerving in a in a way right i initially was looking to raise had did my initial i initially kicked off a raise for the company uh in the fall of 2021 and i you know took some vc meetings um and I just, if I'm being honest, I just didn't really like the way that it felt. And so I just, I said, you know what, I'm going to stop this. I'm going to, you know, take a little time to really think through what I want, what I want this to be. How much do I actually need? What do I actually need to grow the company? Can I grow the company without outside funding? You know, I did a lot of self-funding early on, had some early unexpected investments. Just, you know, a friend was just like, hey, I see where you're doing, where you're going with this. I love the concept. I'm just going to give you some money. Give me whatever you want. I just want to see this grow because I know you can do it. And then I, nice. you know, that was the the first thing that, and that was after like a month and a half of the company being up, she just saw the vision and she gave us a good, you know, a nice little chunk of change that we were able to stretch out and use for a while. And then, you know, I, luckily I had a good amount of savings and I was able to put some money into it. And that kind of gave us the time that we needed for me to really consider what our, what our next steps were. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't until um, late last year that I, you know, really launched a formal seed round of funding, which, it, which for for me, it's just a couple of hundred thousand dollars that we would need to kind of put, you know, all of the other pieces that we're talking about in place, hire, you know, the, uh, you know, a COO who could, you know, start to manage a lot of the operations and put the sales team in place and, you know, the opera and all of these different like additional components to really elevate us from, I don't want to say that we were a, a mom and pop business, but it was very much a small startup and nobody, well, at least I don't want to stay a small business, right? Like I'm trying to be right. a small business turns, turns, turns medium, turns big, turns unicorn, right? Like that's the space that I'm going on. And so what I did was I said, okay, what do I feel like is our quickest pathway to profitability? And I mentioned earlier, I feel like that's B2B. And as I mentioned, the B2B, um, 
cost to acquire customers is quite a bit less instead of focusing on needing, you know, massive budgets for marketing and advertising. Instead, I just need a sales team and that Mm -hmm. sales team will start to get us the the B2B clients that we need and then the revenue required to then build the other elements of the business. And so it took some time for me to kind of think about the best way for me to go about that. And so what we're doing now is raising a safe um, round, a seed round of funding as a safe. And then we're going to use that money to get to a significant amount of profitability um, and revenue with our B2B clients. And then once we get to a place where we're comfortable, you know, we're building out our advisory board and really putting the, the things in place so that when we do go out on our first priced round, that we will have so much revenue that it will be undeniable that right. the money that we're requesting is the money that is required and that it will be something that we will be far more in charge of because again, the revenue will speak for itself. Um, mm. And so that's that's kind of the strategy that we're first raising this first, you know, kind of smaller safe. And then, you know, I'm thinking within the next, excuse me, 18 months or so, we'll have, you know, the um, the large revenue that we need to then go out on an actual price round to be able to get the amount of funding um, that we deserve and will need for what will be, you know, our next phase of growth. Oh, I love to see how you're approaching this process because it can be daunting. And I think when people come in unprepared, they don't see the results they need and they just have to go back to the drawing board. So I love your approach. Um, But as someone running a wellness company, I feel like you're probably uniquely qualified to answer this question. How are you taking care of yourself as a founder? Simply because you are running two businesses that are growing at a rapid rate. So what are you doing to make sure that number one, you're not burning yourself out and number two, you continue to thrive as a business owner? Yeah. Well, to be honest, I still go to the flowers. They still bring me peace. And I actually am really enjoying building this company. And, um, you know, while there are things of the business that can be stressful, I get to still play with the flowers all day. So it's immediate balance for me. But then also, you know, I just returned um, at the top of the year. I was offline for about two weeks at a silent meditation retreat and it was magical. It just was time for me to completely unplug there, you know, no devices, no phones, no laptops, no nothing, nothing but silence. They call it noble silence, no communication of any kind, just, you know, meditation and, you know, quiet time with yourself. And that was so incredibly refreshing. Um, Just the way that it recharged me and got me, you know, focused on really what this next quarter, next year, next journey for us is going to look like. And so it's this thing of prioritizing your self-care and prioritizing taking the time. I'm not suggesting everyone take, you know, two weeks to do that, but that's something that I desperately needed um, just because of all, you know, all of the working that I've done in all my years, I've never taken that much time and desperately um, needed it. So for me, it's the flowers. Yes. But then also being really intentional about setting boundaries, not just with other people for my time, but with myself for my time, right. Not carrying my laptop upstairs into the into the bedroom, not you know, working all the way up to, you know, the last thing I do before I go to bed is shut the laptop instead, give myself time in the morning to wake up, you know, experience life 
whatever the day is going to bring me, go for my workout, do those things. And then on the other side of the day, you know, also I've, since I came back from the retreat, also enacting siesta, right smack in the middle of the day, even if, even if I don't go to sleep, but just giving myself 45 minutes to an hour to just sit still. And then at the mm-hmm. end of the day saying, okay, well, if I know I'm going to bed at 10 o'clock by seven 30, I'm starting to wind down. I'm going to pour a cup of tea. I close the laptop and give myself that time um, to unwind. And it's just really being intentional about those boundaries again, not just for other people, but more importantly for myself so that I could always make sure that I'm giving myself time to feel what I'm feeling rather than, um, than essentially um, uh, bury it in the work. Does that make Mm. sense? Absolutely makes sense. And I think sometimes driven people tend to do that. You don't really feel everything that's going on in the moment because you're work, work, working up until the last second, like you said. Mm -hmm. So Talia, hearing your story, you are building something amazing. You're building something groundbreaking. So for anyone who wants to support, get into DIY flower arranging, where can we find you? Where can we follow your journey? We can follow us on Postal Petals across all platforms. We're postalpetals.com to order a box or book a workshop. Again, we do both um, consumer boxes. We also do corporate events and gifting. Uh, And you can follow us on uh, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest. Again, we're Postal Petals uh, all the way across um, social media platforms. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Really do appreciate it. Hi, Offscripters. I'm so glad you made it to the end of this episode. If you found this show helpful, please pay it forward by sharing us with your network and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram. Our handle is at She's Offscript. Or you can catch up on past episodes at She's Offscript.com. All right, with that, we'll see you right back here next Thursday for another episode. Bye.